Good morning. You guys did not fail to say good morning to me. This sermon is on failure, so we'll see how much of that we get. You look around the world today, you see lots of it, right? It's all over. It's really evident in Ukraine that humanity is failing at the project of representing God in the world and taking care of the world. You look at politics, you look at our own lives, and you can just see there's failure. You can look at how Ken failed to stroke Gary's ego this morning, and you know that failure is everywhere, and it's very, very real. It's very, very present with us, and so we're going to learn a little bit about um, our response to failure and what, what we could do, what we maybe should do, and we're going to look at Nehemiah this morning and his response to the failure of him himself and his people. And uh, before we get going, I just want to let you know that I myself am a huge failure. Massive failure. I don't know if you are also a failure. You can ask yourself that question this morning a few times over. But I am the first to confess this morning that I am really a deep and profound failure. I am. And you know what? I would say, I would suggest to you that Humanity's track record is that all of humanity is just a deep and profound failure over and over and over again. Right from the very, very beginning, we've been failing. You don't have to read far in your Bible. If you just start at the very beginning, you're going to see failure right away. Like we get made, there we are, and we fail. Fantastic. And God made the whole world perfect and beautiful for us to enjoy with him. And he made us, and he put us in it to enjoy with him, to caretake for his world. And then we just failed miserably to abide uh, the way that God wanted us to in his love and provision. And we were just instantly disobedient and messed it all up right away. Fantastic, right? It's pretty exciting. We brought death into God's life-filled creation. That was us. We did that. And you can still see that death permeating today because of our failure. We sowed decay and rot into what God had made to be good and full of life, and it was just an utter and complete failure. And the good news is that right away, as soon as we failed, as soon as we messed it all up, God began a rescue plan immediately. It's good news. And then we failed to follow it. Yep. Started a rescue plan, put it in place, and then we just failed to follow his rescue plan. You see, he brought a people together. He set that people apart unto himself to be like a missionary people of God in the world, testifying to him, and he provided for them, and he gave them instructions, and they just failed and failed and failed and failed and failed to follow God the way that he was calling them to follow him. Instead, they worshiped golden chunks of, you know, fake calves instead. Failure, just miserable failure all around us and all through our history um, as people. And at one point, and this is the series we're in, God's people, because of their failures, were sent into exile. They were, God allowed them to be conquered and exiled into Babylon and stripped of their land. They were stripped of their identity. But the king of kings, patient, ever patient in our failures, well, he was on a rescue plan. 
doesn't matter how many times we seem to try and rebel against God's rescue plan and go our own way and do it in our own strength and in our own way, find our own way through this messy thing called life. God constantly is patient with us and has this rescue plan. So here we are in Ezra and Nehemiah, and the situation is that, um, that we've got a whole nation in ruins, we've got a people that are exiled, but God's starting to work these amazing miracles to allow Jerusalem to begin to be revived, including the temple. So God has already sent someone to rebuild the temple of God. Amazing, right? Everybody say amen. Amen. Temple's being rebuilt. Rebuilt's good. But God's people are not really following his word. They're not actually obeying or, or doing the things they need to do to follow the law of God. So Ezra comes. God sends Ezra. He's teaching people again, reviving in them the word of God. Everybody say amen. God's on a rescue plan. It's really good. And yet, people are still not really completely on board with everything that God's doing. There's still some chaos. There's still people not following God. And there is still all these walls that are in ruins. The city of Jerusalem is still in ruins. And we're going to read what that really means to the people in a minute when we get into Nehemiah. So what does God do with his people who have failed so profoundly? He's going to rebuild. He's going to rebuild. And he's been trying to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild since we failed first in Genesis. And he's rebuilding here specifically with his people who are he's bringing back out of exile. Praise the Lord. So I am a total failure. You can ask yourselves if you are as well this morning. It's a bright and chipper morning. It's warm out, it's sunny out, the birds are chirping, and I'd like you to figure out if you're a failure or not. I'm no better than these Israelites here that constantly rebel against God. I'm a failure through and through. And are you? And does your pride even allow you to evaluate that question honestly? Does it? Because I'm sure that my pride gets in the way of me honestly evaluating the depths of the failure in my own life. And I wonder if your pride maybe gets in the way of evaluating the depths of the failure in your own life too. And that's just another failure. <laughs> failure to see the depth of your own failure. Congratulations. And what have we achieved? What would we say are, is our success? Because success would be the opposite of failure. And we usually measure success with our achievements and our accomplishments. And, and does it even matter at all what we've achieved or accomplished? Does it really? The houses that we've built, our homes, our businesses, our communities kingdoms we've made did these mean that we're not failures well nothing lasts that's not eternal and I know in my life that I've so often failed to spend it on the things that are eternal the things that actually last so when I haven't been doing that when I haven't been spending my life unto God yeah I've probably been failing and so Nehemiah is here here he is. He's in the midst of this profound failure of his people. They've already been exiled. They're now being reconciled back to the promise that God had for them, bringing, being brought back out of exile. That's all started. It's all happening, but there's still kind of problems. There's still failures happening. How do we, like Nehemiah, is going to, to begin this work? How do we return to the land and promise of God when we have just failed so profoundly? 
so profoundly. And the good news is that God is actually not a failure. I don't know, I checked in the Bible and I found out that he hasn't failed. You can check yourself, you can read all the pages and look for some failures, but you won't find any because God's not a failure. In Joshua we read, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Not one. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. God never fails. So that's the good news as I make you feel really bad about yourselves getting started in the message this morning. God is not a failure. He's not failed. And he is on a redemptive plan for humanity. He is on a path. He's on a plan. He is working towards redemption. And so the good news is, we are failures, he is not, and he has a plan for redemption, and we're in the midst of it. So despite ourselves, it's going to work out just fine. So the walls are in ruin, the temple, uh, it's been rebuilt, rebuilt sure, uh, we've got, you know, the word being taught again in, in the people of Israel, that's great, but still, there's no walls, and it's, it's a problem. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Nehemiah, yes, if you have a phone, you can scroll to Nehemiah. You can open it up to chapter 1, and we're just going to start in verse 2. And, and Nehemiah is just inquiring. He's just inquiring, like, what's going on over there? And you tell me about Jerusalem. What's going on over there? That's what Nehemiah is wondering. So he says, uh, it says here, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. What's going on over there in Jerusalem? I know the temple's being rebuilt. It's pretty cool. What's going on over there? And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Ooh, problem, okay? So massive failure. Massive failure, God's people in exile, destroyed, ruined, torn down. They're beginning to rebuild, but these walls are still destroyed. And for them, this is what it means. It, it is trouble and disgrace. In, in other translations, it says shame. So, failure. They're living in trouble. They're living in disgrace. They're living in shame. There's opposition to God's people. Utter failure. Now, when I face conflicts or problems in my life, I try and fix them. That's what I do. You just, there's something pro- problem, you go and fix it. Now I have a bathroom that I started renovating a year ago and it's a problem and I haven't actually tried to fix it in a while. So if you see my wife, let her know that she needs to be as patient as possible for that bathroom to get done. But when it comes to people things, I'm always trying to fix, I'm always trying to fix the problem, like right away. Like whatever happens, let's get on it, let's get on top of it, let's make hay, let's get this done. There's an issue, let's solve it. Let's just solve it, let's get into it. And that is our tendency, isn't it? Like we just want to get it done, get it solved. And so you would think Nehemiah's got this problem, he's going he's gonna to solve it. But let's keep reading and, and find out what happens. So the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned for, with fire. And Nehemiah's like, great, I got a plan, we'll fix this. No. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Whew. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So the walls were in ruin. Something needed to be done. 
Israel's living in shame. They're trying to rebuild themselves. God's been blessing this sort of, this sort of movement of, of them coming back. But these walls, these walls are a problem. An urgent action was needed. And enemies of God are already scheming. There's already bubblings of, of what people hate about the fact that Jerusalem is, is beginning to, to be revived. And it's time to do something. It's time to get on top of this. It's time to fix it. It's time to make it happen. To make hay. And Nehemiah doesn't do any of that right away. He doesn't jump in with his great solutions. He just sits down. He just stops. He just sits. He just sits. He sits down. He doesn't get up and go. He sits down and stops. He wept. He felt it. He mourned for days, like for days it said. He just sat there and cried like a baby for days. He just looked at this failure and was just like, shame, shame, this failure, this is horrible. He didn't come in with a quick, quick solve. Didn't try and start gathering an army together. Gather a group, try and rebel, get back there, build those walls up. He just sat down and cried for days. That is not most of our natural reaction to a failure or a problem. Just to stop and feel it. And to sit there and to weep and to mourn and to fast and to pray. But that's what Nehemiah did. He sat down, he stopped, he didn't get up and go, he just mourned, he sat there. So when we face our failures, when we see the failures, the ruins in our lives, that is what we need to do first. We need to just stop and just recognize the depth of it, the depth of it. It's immense. The depth of our failure. And seek the Lord first. And I'm talking about the failures in our lives as God's people, the depths of our sin, and I'm also talking about the failures and conflicts that come out of that sin, the things that are happening around you in your life that are just like problems. We need to stop trying to fix it all right away with our plans and recognize what it is first and just sit down. Maybe have a cry. Last year, it was just around this time, it was just a little bit about, it was just a little over a year ago, this happened to me. I sat down and I cried. And I didn't do it because I wanted to. I didn't do it because like Nehemiah, I had the wisdom to just see the problem and then just sit down with the Lord and cry out to him and to pray and to face the failure with the Lord. I sat down and cried because I had already tried over and over and over again to overcome the failing in my life with just brute strength, just fix it. And I'm talking about, you know, imagine, you know, pandemic. It's been hard. There's lead, leading a school community, helping leading a church community. All these things were going on. Everybody has a problem. And I'm like, oh, I'll fix it over here. And there's a little fire over here. And I'll put that fire out. And I'll help you. And I'll help you. And we'll make peace over here. And I'll hold this thing together as best as I can. And I went like that. And I went like that. And I went like that. And I, I just wasn't stopping. I just wasn't stopping just to cry and to spend time with God. I was just like, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. For the, in the name of Jesus, I got this. I got this for the Lord. I got this. We're going to hold this thing together. That's what I did. And you know what happened? Is because I didn't stop 
God just made me. He put me on my back. I couldn't go to work. I sat on my couch, curled up in a ball, and I just cried, like for days, for days and days. I didn't know, I, I had lost myself in all of my striving to do and to fix and to make it happen. I lost myself, and God just put me on my back, and I just cried. I just, I didn't even know who, who I was th- at that moment or what was going on. I was so lost, and I just cried for days. It wasn't like a very manly spectacle. It was like, I was just weak. That's more what we need to do sooner, though. That's just more what we need to do before we run ourselves off a cliff trying to fix everything. We need to just stop. God made me because I didn't want to on my own. He helped me sit down and just recognize the depth of my failure to confess to him like that I haven't been just abiding with him and spending my time with him and going to him for strength and looking to him for solutions and looking for him to work. I was just trying to solve it and I had to confess that to God and just weep and pray and until I did that, I wasn't really able to move forward. All right, well, we're going to move forward in the passage, okay? Next verse. We're going to read Nehemiah's prayer. So there's Nehemiah, days of this fasting, mourning, crying, oh, the shame of my people. And here is his prayer. And, And I am sure over those days, he prayed more than just one time. This was a prayer or representation of his prayer. I'm not sure. But this is what Nehemiah writes about it. And he says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive to your, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. So this is Nehemiah's prayer. He just stops and he just mourns and cries and cries out to God and the essence of his prayer is like Lord Lord please hear me help me we we've messed up I've messed up this is not your problem this is I have sinned I have committed sin against you we have acted very wickedly towards you oh Lord help us help us and Lord would you remember your promise would you remember your promise? Do you remember that you said that, that if we're unfaithful, you'll scatter us, but that if we return to you, if I return to you, God, and obey your commands, 
then, then you're going to bring me back into that promise that you had? Lord, I want to come back. I want to I return to you. We need to stop in the midst of our failures. Stop trying to fix everything. Look at ourselves and say, Lord, what have I done? What have I done to mess these things up? What have I done in my own life? What is going on with me? I confess those things to you. I just want to return to you, God. I just want to return to you, and then I want to rely on your promise, not my work, your promise to bring me back. Your word that says you're going to bring us back into the promise that you have for us. Because God never fails, right? Amen? Amen. Amen. He never fails. He never fails. All right, let's keep reading. So Nehemiah stops. He cries, he mourns, he prays. That's what we need to do. We need to get this as a habit in our life where we go to God first. But then he actually does do some stuff. Afterwards, he does some stuff. He doesn't just stop and cry and, and mourn and pray and cry out to the Lord. He gets up and then he does some things. So good news is you, you, you can get off the couch and do some things. And what he does is the work of God. And it's very clear that he doesn't have to facilitate, try and contrive a solution to the problem of the shame of Jerusalem and the walls being broken down. It's very clear that God is orchestrating the solution and that Nehemiah is seeing the work of God and pursuing it and following along with what God is doing first and foremost. So in chapter 2, Nehemiah starts doing stuff. So we're going to read that. So in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? Can you feel like this guy, he spent that time mourning over the failure of his people and of himself. So much so that he can't wipe it off his face for five minutes to hand the king his cup. He just, it's in him. He knows. He has spent time facing it. And the king can see it written all over his face. Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king asks, what do you want? I always wonder, like, was the king, did the king just, were him and Nehemiah like close buddies? Or was he just like, I got to get this, like, this sad guy is bringing down my party. You got to, like, cheer him up here. It's kind of, it's kind of ruining the mood. I'm not sure. But the king's like, what do you want? What do you want? I don't know if he said it like, what do you want? Or what do you want? You know, how can I help you? Um, I have no idea. But he says, what do you want? What do you want? And then Nehemiah has this perfect plan, so he just hammers it at, well, king, I know what I want. I'm going to tell you right now. That's exactly what happened, right? 
Somebody say no. 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 And I think that if Nehemiah did that, he probably wouldn't have said the things he ends up saying. What, what he says is, King says, what is it you want? And then Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. I have no idea what that looked like, but it sounds a lot like what Nehemiah was already doing, the posture he already had towards God. He had already stopped and sat down with the Lord and wept over this thing and cried out to the Lord and prayed to the Lord. He had already oriented himself towards God. And we need to orient ourselves towards Jesus so when this moment comes, when this moment comes, the moment that God's going to be at work and provide this opportunity divinely, we can just look right back. We're just ready to look right back to Jesus for help. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And did he get on his knees there before the king? Just give me a minute. I need to pray. Did he just say, oh, Lord, help me, and then go on? This is whatever. He oriented himself towards God. He prayed before he spoke. Lord, I need your plan, not mine. I'm a failure. Like, I've already, we've already messed this up enough. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by, by the temple and for the city wall, and I love this, and for the residence I will occupy for his own house. I'm going to be, rebuild the walls in my own house. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governor of the trans-Euphrates and gave them uh, the king's letters. The king had also sent an army and officers and cavalry with me. So this guy who was like, just before that, he's like, just a mess. Can't get his act together. He's facing his failures. He's crying out to God which is how we should be. He's just a cup, he's a cupbearer. It's a, it's a, it's a, pl a place of honor. He's, all of a sudden, though, he's like, he's got the authority. He's like, God has just done this crazy thing. He's given him cavalry, letters to all the guys that don't really want this to happen. King's gonna pay for his mission. And off he goes. Like Nehemiah, he's not making that happen. There's no get up and go. That's going to make that happen. There's no make hay, I'll solve it, I'll fix it, I'll get her done attitude that's going to get that done. No way. It's only God that gets that done. And it's only God that can rebuild the ruins in your lives and in mine. It's only God that can do that. There's no way you're going to fix it on your own. Good luck. You're only going to do what I did and make it worse. You can't. You can't. And imagine this. Nehemiah is, is so oriented towards the need, his need for God and his confession of his own failure and the failure of his people. He's like, just imagine knowing that the, the gracious hand of God was with you 
you just know God's with me. He's with me. And I'm convinced that when you spend real time with God in the midst of your failures, that when you actually just sit down and go to him and face it head on with Jesus, I'm convinced you realize God is with you because he is. If you spend time with him, he's going to let you know, I am for you, not against you. I'm for you. But you've got to do things my way. You've got to return to me and obey my commandments, and then I'll bring you back into the promise. So good. All right, I lost my spot because I got all heartfelt. <sighs> So yeah, is this what we do? Is this what you do? Do you stop? Do you stop and pray? Do you face your problems first by turning towards God? And are you desperate for him to do the work more than you? Like, it's just not natural for us. How many of you, like I get in fights with my wife, we don't throw things at each other or anything. But, we you know, we squabble. Am I the only one? How many people get in fights with their spouse? Come on. Don't leave me hanging here. Right? Because if you've never had a conflict with your spouse, that's weird. <laughs> You're really weird. I want to talk to you after. And we've been married just almost 15 years, and uh, I've learned a lot. I can say I'm sorry a lot faster than I used to. But my, my tendency, most of our tendency, when we get in a conflict, whether it's with our spouse, with our sibling, doesn't matter who, it's like we're going to defend ourselves, right? We'll even do it in a way that makes us feel like we're, we're being really humble, you know, but we're still, like, defending ourselves. We're still digging in and defending our way. Oh, honey, I, I hear what you're saying, and, but, you know, you, <laughs> you did this or that or the other thing. We don't just stop and look at our own failures and say, Lord, help me. We just dig in, defend, try and fix it on our own. And we suck at it really bad. All right, we can read on, and you're going to find there's opposition to the work of God. There's people that are against this. They don't want it to happen. They don't want what God is going to do with Nehemiah to happen. So this isn't Nehemiah's plan. Remember, now we're into God's plan for the rebuilding of the walls. And there are people that don't want God's plan to happen. They don't want it to happen. And so there's this opposition. You see Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. He's like sneaking out at night to like inspect the walls and figure out what needs to be done, whatever he's doing. And he's not sure, like he hasn't told people yet what he's going to do. And then he tells people. And then in verse 17 and 18, we read, we read this. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So there's a plan to fix the problem. It's God's plan. God has, has empowered this plan to happen. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. Look, he knows God is with him, because he is orienting himself towards God. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. 
But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebuilding, rebelling against the king? Another translation says they jeered. They were jeering at them, mocking them, making fun of them. There was opposition. And that is the most normal thing imaginable for God's work. There has always been mocking and opposition to the plan and the work of God. You think of Noah faithfully building that ark to rescue humanity. Again, it's like a, a, a forecasting of the good work of Jesus on the cross. And when Noah was building that ark to rescue humanity, there was opposition. And Moses leading the people out of the promised land. Opposition. A whole army was rising up against them. And now here, Nehemiah's looking to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, part of God's redemptive purpose and plan. And when God is working on redemption, there's opposition. And there was opposition and mocking. It wasn't dignified work. It wasn't what people thought should happen. They mocked them. I think of David, you know, dancing half naked before the ark, mocked. And sometimes the work of God isn't dignified in the eyes of man. It's just not. It's just not what people think you should be doing. But we have to embrace what God is calling us to do, not what we want to do, because we don't like to be mocked, by the way. We have to embrace what God is calling us to do in the midst of our failures, and it's not always popular. But in the midst of it, we can be like Nehemiah, because he gets mocked here in the passage. And what can we do in the midst of it? We can stay faithful to the plan and the purpose God has for us. We can return to God, obey his commands. We can stay faithful, and then we can testify to God and to Jesus. It's exactly what Nehemiah does. I answer them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Not me. I won't give us success. God is going to give us success. It is the Lord's work, not my work. It is his solution, not my solution. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Point to Jesus over and over and over again. Testify to God. Go forward in faith because you took the time to sit down and to be with God in the midst of your failure. The failure in the ruins of your life. The failure in the ruins of some of the situations in your life. Whatever it is. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never really understood that, that your life is a mess. Or maybe you're realizing your life is a mess and you don't know how to fix it. Well, please, just sit down. Just sit down and look at God for a minute. He has all you need. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. We need to face failure the way of Jesus. Which Jesus was no failure, but he took on the failures of the whole world, didn't he? Yours and mine. Jesus spent time with God. He sat down. He never did anything apart from what the Father was doing. He retreated often to pray and 
He sought God in the Garden of Gethsemane. How painful was that for him? On the cross, he cried out to God. He sat down and obeyed God unto death rather than run forward. And Jesus calls us to confession of the failure and ruins in our lives. God loves to heal the broken things. God calls us to pray and to trust him. Imagine the incredible faith of Christ on the cross as he hung there for us. He asked, why have you forsaken me? He trusted his Father in heaven despite feeling abandoned and lost. Christ mocked with a sign above his head, mocked by the people around him, jeered at, save yourself, they said. It just reminds us what we could probably expect if we sit down, take the time to confess, take the time to look to God and return to him and follow him and do his things his way. Well, that looks like, looks like a cross. That's his way. Jesus reminds us in the cross what it means to be his follower. And all through scripture, when people finally just get back to what God's doing, there's always opposition. Always. It reminds me in Matthew 10 that the followers of Jesus are just, you're going to be mocked. It just says it, like explicitly in Matthew 10. It's like if the servants, if, if the master of the house is mocked, how much more are you going to be mocked and maligned? You're just the servants of the master. So if your master's getting mocked, you're, you're going to, like, why would you expect any different? Why do you expect anything different than what Jesus got? Don't expect any different. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. The head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. And then it goes on in that passage, by the way, and it reminds us of, the, of, of how God is going to make it right. It's okay. God's going to make it right. God's going to fix it. God knows the hairs on your head. Don't be afraid. He knows your worth. He has a plan. So I am a failure. You may be failures too. I don't know. I could take a guess. And we need to face failure in this way, with God. Go to him first. Stop trying to fix everything. Sit down and just pray. Let God do the work. We face failures and problems first and foremost by sitting down, not going forward. We face failure by confessing it and realizing it and looking at our own selves and our own failures. We face failure and problems by praying and trusting in God's promises. We face failures by moving forward in faith and allowing God to do the work. And we face failure knowing there will be opposition and mocking and jeering. And it may not look the way people think it should look. It may not be as dignified as we would like it to be when we do it God's way. I'm going to invite Gary back up. He's going to lead us in communion and some worship. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you have never failed. From the very beginning till now, Lord, there is nothing, nothing that you have failed to accomplish that you set out to do. Lord, we have failed. We have failed over and over again, but you have lifted us up in your faithfulness.
patience. You love us. God, I just thank you that despite all our failures, we can return to you. We can be made like you. We can be redeemed. We can be made to return to the promise that you have for us. God, I thank you for a future that's bright and hopeful and full of you. God, help me to just sit down. Help us all just to sit down, just to look at the failures in the world and in our life and to to cry over them, to feel them, and to pray and to say, Lord, help us, help us, help us. Help us to do that, Lord, like Nehemiah did, filled with faith in the promise that you have, filled with faith that you are going to accomplish the redeeming work that you've set out to do. And you've already done it on the cross, Lord. So I just thank you, Jesus, for that redeeming work on the cross. I thank you for the work you're doing to make us in your image more and more every day. So as we go out from here, Lord, help us to walk closely with you, to orient ourselves towards you day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.